It's Friday the 19th of November. This is the Climate Alarm Clock. This week's main stories. What next after COP26? We continue looking at what's in the Climate Action Plan. Bloods hit Canada and South Sudan. And what's happened to all the birds? Also coming up on this week's show, we continue our collaboration with Irish Doctors for the Environment. We look at the Climate Action Bill in our Policy Explainer. Cara chats to Gary Tyrrell and I chat to Saoirse Exton about her experiences of COP26. Hello and welcome to the Climate Alarm Clock, your weekly Irish climate news podcast. I'm Dara Wynn. For those who were paying attention, the outcome of COP26 was pretty disappointing and equally disappointing was the predictable fall off in media climate coverage. But we're still here and we'll be chatting about the fallout from COP while continuing to look at a number of other climate stories. As always, we start with the news, and today I'm just joined by Anna. We've no Kira today. Anna, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks, Dara. How are you? I'm grand. I'm grand. How are you feeling post COP26? Well, as you said, the fall off has really been noticeable this week in terms of coverage in Ireland. We've been obsessed by COVID again. Um, but I, in terms of COP26, I probably wasn't as disappointed as a lot of people because I didn't have high expectations for it. So I think it's about incremental progress and there was a little bit of that. Yeah, yeah. I think I think when the I think in the last day, I think some of the some of what transpired in the last day was particularly difficult. I think I think listening to countries from the global south, uh Pacific Island nations saying that, you know, this deal isn't enough to ensure our survival and to protect our future. But there's nothing else on the table, so we're going to accept it. That was really hard to watch, and it's kind of um, emblematic of the power inequalities when it comes to global climate action. Yeah, when you talk about 1.5 being still alive, it means literally alive for those countries. Yeah, so I, yeah, yeah. So I suppose, as you say, it is an incremental thing, and that. COP is only ever going to achieve so much. There was huge disappointment on the last day as well with the language around coal being too phased down rather than phase out. Yes, but at the same time, you have to remember that's the first time, amazingly, it's the first time that coal was ever mentioned in a COP document. First time that fossil fuels were ever mentioned. They don't appear in the Paris Agreement at all. So, you know, again, back to incremental progress, not ideal, but it's something. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think the biggest development from an Irish perspective is that Ireland joined the Beyond Oil and Gas Alliance. Yeah, that was great to see that, although I'm not entirely sure what it means, other than we can put more pressure on the government not to allow things like Shannon LNG to go ahead or whatever. But but yeah, it was good to see Ireland following the lead of Costa Rica and Denmark to do that. Yeah, so we've committed to phasing out oil and gas and whether or not we actually do that, at least activists now have another document, another policy to point to when they're trying to stop new fossil fuel infrastructures being developed like Shannon LNG. Yeah, we saw a great example of that in in, um, Scotland this week where Nicola Sturgeon said that the Cambo oil field shouldn't go ahead. Um, and that's she's changed her stance to be more definitive about that. And you have to think that 100,000 people on the streets in Glasgow and all of the rhetoric around COP probably led her to that point or helped her get there. Yeah, that's a real example of 
people power working and people power helping to push on the discourse, push on the narrative and hopefully result in in changes in policy and change in direction. Yeah, George Monbiot, who's a leading environmental journalist, he dismissed the document coming out of COP as a pathetic limp rag of a document. But he did go on to say that if 25% of the population are committed and active and engaged, then there is a huge possibility to make change happen. And I think that's the main theme coming out of COP is use it as a motivation, refocus, keep working. In terms of what we can do then in Ireland, uh, we started looking at the Climate Action Plan last week and that is, I suppose, our roadmap for getting us to where we need to get to. So we're going to continue looking at that now. Yeah, so what have you been looking at particularly, Dara? So I mentioned a little bit about engagement last week and I'm going to keep on that theme. So we've said that it's important now following COP for people to take action and the government did announce last week that they are starting a 60 million climate community fund so there's funding available for projects like community ev charging small renewable energy projects cycle parking repair hubs community biodiversity gardens or other climate friendly actions so that is a really nice antidote i think to the cop despair you can get back into your community you can apply for this funding through your council and you can try and get going with some action. And if that's not your thing, then do also just keep an eye out on the National Dialogue for Climate Action, the NDCA. So it's really important that your voice is being heard, that you are contributing to the conversation, and there will be various ways, be it through uh, in-person forums, online forums, online submissions, that you can have your say on the plan and that you can say where the plan should go from here and the more people that engage with that the better so that is something that we should all be taking part in definitely and another element in the action plan um, in the electricity section is about micro generation support which i think again has lots of um, potential at a community level so we heard this week that this should be in place in January. And what that means is that if you have solar panels on your roof or you have um, domestic wind turbine, for example, you can now feed any excess electricity that's generated. You can now sell it back to the grid. So the potential for that is huge for communities. And if you think about GAA clubs, community halls, etc., schools, um, you could have solar panels on your roof and you could help generate renewable electricity but also defray some of your electricity costs by getting credit for that from the grid so we'll be looking carefully to see if that actually happens in January because I think it'll be an indicator of how easy or hard is it going to be to make these actions a reality. For sure for sure and this is something that's been in the pipeline for a long long time and hasn't happened so if it does happen in January that feels like a good signifier that we're going to make progress with this climate action plan and if it doesn't then it feels like just more of the same all talk no action yeah so we'll be looking at that and hoping that it does happen yeah something we will be hoping doesn't happen here Anna is flooding akin to what we've seen around the world particularly in Canada and South Sudan in the last while oh my god the, the images coming out of Vancouver and British Columbia this week were apocalyptic um, you're seeing images of whole highways being washed away by intense rainfall, um, 
with whole cities underwater. Vancouver, which is, as we know, is a modern developed city, is cut off from the rest of Canada at the moment because of rail links and roads being underwater. Yeah, yeah, which is just hard to believe, hard to get your head around. And then the fact that that is such an important port that um, that has so many knock-on effects in terms of the functioning of, of the country. Yeah, it is a massive port and Canada, as we know, is an exporter of grains. And so what you're seeing happen now is the grain harvest is already lower this year because of drought. But now they're having problems exporting the grains because they can't get to Vancouver. They can't get it to Vancouver at the moment. Um, And then the other thing that's exacerbating the issues there is clear cutting of forests. So that's been going on in British Columbia. And so because they've taken all the forests off the top of hills, guess what? The hills are rolling down and there's nothing to hold them in. And the landslides um, are are just washing away cars and roads. Yeah. Yeah. So we're really seeing how all these issues are connected and how climate change really exacerbates prob- exacerbates problems. I suppose we I mentioned flooding in South Sudan there and we're also we're seeing in terms of connections there we're seeing the real parallels between the injustices of cop that there's been terrible flooding in sudan since may and terrible flooding yeah. for the last three years there and it's not really on our radars here in ireland at all no well i mean it, you know whereas you can look at vancouver and you can see it looks somewhat similar to here but South Sudan, they have 700,000 people affected by flooding with over 300,000 people actually displaced. So, you know, it's one one person dies in Canada, 300,000 people are displaced in South Sudan, but it doesn't get the same attention at all. Yeah, and it's, and it's, it's barely gotten a mention and they've had three years of, of this flooding now. So that is, you know, that's huge, huge disaster. It is, and uh, but lest we think it won't happen here, Dara, we had warnings this week from Dublin City Council engineers um, that Dublin is at high risk for for flooding, and that the the risk has gotten higher in recent years. Um, they're seeing that um, what used to be once in a century events are now much more regular, and extreme rainfall, record tides, these are all becoming issues that we have to deal with on an almost annual basis here. So if you are below sea level in Dublin, I would say make sure you've got your wellies. Is that in the climate action plan, Anna? <laughs> wellies for everyone in East Waldar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, our last story in the newsroom today, Anna, is about the decline of birds in Europe. Yeah, another sad one. But the house sparrow population in Europe has dropped by 247 million in the last 40 years. That is just catastrophic. Yeah, yeah. So this is coming from a study by the Czech Society for Ornithology. And they have said that there's a net loss of 600 million breeding birds in the last over the last four decades which is just it's yeah. just so hard to believe there's loads of factors contributing to that including change in farming practices f- shortages of food diseases such as avian malaria and air pollution and that's i think birds you know birdwatch ireland will tell you in their ag- advocacy that birds are a key indicator species so if the birds are disappearing that means there's loads of stuff wrong with our biodiversity it means there's loads of stuff wrong with our environment so this 
like so many other things, should really be a big wake-up call for us. Yeah, and especially when it's associated with farmland, it means that insects are disappearing as well, and that's that's a lot of the reason behind it. But to finish on a positive, one good thing is that some birds of prey have more than doubled since 1980, and we see some of them here in Ireland, like buzzards and more eagles. Um, so at least we've got beautiful, magnificent buzzards and eagles to look at. Yeah, and what's nice about the buzzard in particular is the buzzard came back on its own. It wasn't reintroduced. They flew over from Scotland, repopulated Northern Ireland, repopulated Ireland. Uh, so if we just give nature a chance, nature will uh, nature will recover. So, <laughs> But we really do need to give yeah. it a, a fighting chance. But there's, it's all those positive connections. Yeah, 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 exactly. Before we go, Anna, what is our not climate story this week? But this one is uh, quite different, um, but it really struck me during the week. Um, this is about the Monaghan Soviet. Now, Monaghan has not broken away from the Republic to form a Soviet. This is about an event 100 years ago. And Michael Gallen, who is from Monaghan, has just um, got a new opera at the Abbey Theatre. And it sounds like one that's interesting to see. And it's called Elsewhere. But it's based on a true story where... In Monaghan in 1919, um, the local asylum, as it was called at the time, was taken over and turned into a Soviet. Okay, and so what has that got to do with climate <laughs> change? Well, it's it was just such a great story because it was actually Pather O'Donnell, who was a union organiser and a proud Donegal man and a, an activist all his life, um, went in there because the staff were complaining about pay and conditions and he organised them. They gave equal pay to men and women. They took out the sectarian practices that had been there and even better, they got the people who were resident in the asylum, as some might call the inmates, um, they worked with them and they all worked together to run the asylum very, very differently. And for me, it's just a fantastic example of how ac motivated activists who think differently about things can turn some of the, our accepted practices on their heads and do things very differently and more positively for everyone. Yeah, and to think that that was 100 years ago... Um yeah, it is. It's a huge motivation in terms of us taking action and making things better for everyone in the process. Yeah, and it's thinking differently. I mean, so it's just saying, OK, why shouldn't the inmates have a say in how the place is being run, for example? Um, so it's just turning things on their head and thinking differently. And I just found it very inspiring. Yeah, and it's exactly what we need at the moment. Um, Definitely. Anna, thank you very much. That is a lovely way to finish off the news roundup this week. We'll be hearing from you a little later on with the Climate Action Bill Explainer. Thank you very much. Thanks. Also coming up on the Climate Alarm Clock, we chat to Saoirse Exton. Cara chats to Gary Tyrrell from the Climate Ambassador Programme and Kira will be here with the Irish Enviro Event Guide. But first, we're continuing our collaboration with Irish Doctors for Environment. This week, I spoke to Dr Declan Mulligan, who is a junior doctor in St Vincent's Hospital. He has a range of interests, including environmental health, preventative care and mental health, and our chat focused on the idea of climate anxiety. So we'll drop into the chat where Declan is explaining anxiety in general. 
when we think about anxiety, you can think about the emotion of anxiety and a feeling of anxiety. And that can be appropriate. It can be inappropriate, but it's a response that is physiological and evolutionarily appropriate. If you're in a new situation, it's okay to be on heightened awareness because that's going to make you react differently. Um, but that can be hijacked in anxiety disorders. So things like generalized anxiety disorder, where you just have this free floating sense of anxiety, no matter where you go, or you can have phobias or things like agoraphobia, where people have this enormous fear of going outside to the point where they won't go outside. And so those are clearly pathological. But what I'd want to put forward is that climate anxiety by its nature is not pathological. Okay, so what so can, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, if you look at the world that young people are being brought up in now, they're being exposed to this information where they're being told the world as you know it is going to change, it is going to change for the worse. If for, you know, for people in the west, we're being told it's going to change a lot and it's going to be bad, but also it's going to change even worse for people in the in the global south. And so Caroline Hickman, who's a child psychologist based in Britain, would say that a lot of children's anxieties come from the idea that they're both sim- they're both powerfully causative and powerlessly helpless, and that conflict internally is the cause of a lot of the anxiety. Okay, so that that's a great that's a great line: powerfully causative and powerlessly helpless. What what does that mean? Well, because you know as young people and even adults are going about our day, we're hyper-conscious of, oh, I shouldn't be eating meat. Oh, I'm getting in a car to go where I'm going. And you feel causative. You feel like you're part of this problem that's you know slowly eating away at our world. But then at the same time, once you start to look into it, you realize you know, you're one of seven or eight billion people on the planet or even one of you know a billion in the west in the western world who are really doing most of the the work unfortunately it can be very easy to just get jaded and say okay well i'm do i'm responsible for this much but i'm not really responsible for the whole picture you know why should i try and that's where you can get into the anxiety you can get into depression and so yeah powerfully causative and powerlessly helpless it's i think it sums up a lot of the the mental conflict that can lead to feelings of climate anxiety. So, so what is the antidote then? Is, is it, is the antidote to just, to just not tell, to not tell children or what is the best way of dealing with climate anxiety? Yeah. Well, I mean, if you, if you, if we go back to the work of Caroline Hickman, there's a couple of things that she said both cause were more likely to cause these feelings of anxiety in children and also to help, uh, allay them. And one of those is to have a sense that the adult world is actually doing something about it, that they're taking this issue seriously. Because for a lot of children, they see that there's this issue here, and then they see the adult world uh, putting their heads in the sands. And that's not really appropriate. Um, And so, you know, these feelings, they're not unreasonable, they're not logical, and they're not pathological. and so having a feeling of anxiety around climate is it's it's rational and it's healthy. There's, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. And really the best thing we can do as the adult world is to take these uh, concerns seriously and treat the climate crisis like a crisis and, you know, do the things we need to do.
That was Dr. Declan Mulligan telling us the way to tackle climate anxiety is to treat the crisis like a crisis. And I think that involves all of us taking action. And hopefully Kira can provide us with some inspiration for that action. Here's the Irish Enviro Event Guide. Hello and welcome to this week's Irish Enviro Event Guide for the 20th to the 28th of November. As usual, I've got lots of great online and in-person events for you. Starting with my climate comrades in the kingdom, there is a Shannon LNG protest taking place tomorrow, Saturday the 20th, on the proposed fracked gas terminal site in Tarbert, County Kerry. During COP26, Ireland was one of 10 countries to join the Beyond Oil and Gas Alliance. But building a brand new gas plant will lock us even further into fossil fuel dependency. If you can, please head along to the protests to stop the plant, wrap up warm and bring a flask of tea for yourself too. For my sustainable fashion friends, Environmental Society at Trinity College Dublin have you covered with the perfect antidote to the Black Friday madness. They are facilitating a swap shop on the College Green campus so you can exchange secondhand and vintage clothing with some other stylish people. The event is free and happening on Wednesday the 24th from 4 to 5pm. Tickets available through eventbrite.ie. It's Climate Action Weekend in Kildare this Friday the 26th to Sunday the 28th. Kildare Public Participation Network are hosting a whole series of events over the weekend, both virtual and in person. You can attend bog and biodiversity walks, take your rocker to a bicycle repair clinic, tour a sustainable energy community and much more. All of the events seem like a wonderful opportunity to learn and to reconnect with your community through nature. More details on kildarepn.ie. And lastly, if you're in need of a laugh and in Belfast, head over to the Green Giggles BYOB Comedy Night on Saturday the 27th in the Vault Artist Studios. Show host Leonie McDonough has a lineup of four cracking comedians who are going to do everything they can to turn that COP26 frown upside down. After COP26, I realized that we have to keep going. And if we have to keep going, we have to be able to laugh. So go get your tickets on eventbrite.ie. That's it for this week's events. Be sure to follow us on social media for a detailed roundup of these and additional unmentioned events. If you know of any events taking place, get in touch with us at climatealarmclock at gmail.com. Thanks, Kira. The shout out to the protest against Shannon LNG was brilliant in light of all that we've been saying so far this week. Still to come on the Climate Alarm Clock this week, Anna explains the Climate Action Bill and I chat to Saoirse Exton about her experience at COP26. But now we're going to continue our collaboration with the Book of Leaves podcast. So we're handing over to Cara, who is chatting to Gary Tyrrell. Hello 
again, everyone. This week, I'm going to introduce you to Gary Tyrrell, who works for the Climate Ambassador Programme, which is a really good programme. I would encourage you to check out if you haven't already. They also have their own podcast called the Climate Ambassador Podcast. And in this segment, we're going to talk about communicating the climate crisis. And Gary actually has an episode of this on his podcast as well. Episode 11 of the Climate Ambassador Podcast, they interviewed Catherine Hayhoe, who has loads of really good insights. And he's kind of... Um, repeating some of those here so I would recommend go listening to that and here are some communication tips. Yeah I, 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 I think the biggest one I've learned just going back to my early days of being involved with you know communicating climate change I was keen and you know I wanted to kind of get all the facts out there and spread the good words and all that kind of stuff and, uh, and that, that is part of the jigsaw still but I, I've learned much more now is to take a step back and to listen like different there's different ways of communicating if you're like talking to a room of people that's going to be different to having like a one-on-one like conversation that we're having carrie you know um but particularly for people who are earlier on their journeys or people who have different uh, views to me as well the most important thing is is simply actually paradoxically to listen it's not to talk and really understand and like not like okay i'm going to give them equal time and when they shut up then i can tell them how, how they need to change their lives now, if you have that desire to communicate an issue that you're passionate about, whether it be climate change or anything else, I would say the most important thing is to listen and really understand where they're coming from. And when you do that, when you can understand better where they're coming from, then, you know, you understand better where the common ground is. And like, listen, we we all have a lot more in common with each other than we do have as differences. Although as humans, we tend to latch on to those differences. Now, yeah. yeah, now having said that, I think there are times in the extreme end of things, which is rare that you have to learn as well to walk away. If someone is so far gone or so like opposing differences to you and stuff, then maybe, okay, respectfully, you know, walk away or, or change the topic if you're in a pub or something like that, you know. But I think, you know, really understanding it because often say someone who, who doesn't have climate change on their radar whatsoever, really, they have all these other, you know, more important issues to deal with, whether it be raising kids or trying to find a job or whatever it is. And if you listen and, and try and understand, you'll figure out a little bit of what some of their concerns and fears might be. But also this is something that Catherine Hayhoe suggested on, on the podcast that we had. And that's to like seek out some good stories and have a few of them in your back pocket. And I did that afterwards, actually. There's often like the daily news is full of doom and gloom and all that kind of stuff. So invariably, when climate change comes up in, in, a, in a lot of our news, it's not the good stuff. However, there are mm-hmm. so many great things. There is millions of people out there who are on the exact same page nice little book of leaves or what warm there but they're on the exact same page as me and you Carrie you know and sometimes I forget that as well and I, it's good to remind ourselves of that tons of good stuff going on particularly there might be someone in your life who who you really want to plant a seed with and, and get them to start on their journey perhaps a little bit so if that's the case you probably know them already and know what their interests are and stuff like that so and, and just drop that in when the time's right you know narrative although i know some uh, people who care pa- passionately about the environment they feel they have to get all the, again getting all the facts and figures out there including how and it is listen it definitely is a very very serious issue i don't want to downplay it but by just coming across with the doom and gloom stuff that will like people who are early in their journey they're just going to put up the defensive walls they're going to put their head in the sand or whatever you want to call it and they're not going to engage so that's not the way to do it it's like having solutions based uh, stories you know and and helping them figure out 
And I, and again, listening and asking questions. So again, maybe not necessarily giving facts, but asking questions and kind of going, well, where do you think you might fit into this? And after maybe you've told them a nice little story about, you know, a local community garden that's going on or whatever it might be, you know. So there you go. If you want to listen to that episode in full, check out episode 55 of Book of Leaves. And I also just want to share a quote from another podcast that uh, the Irish Doctors for the Environment did recently with uh, John Gibbons on communicating the climate crisis as well. I'll leave a link in the show notes for you guys to check that out. But John shared a really brilliant quote, we could win the argument and lose the audience. And that really resonated with me. So that's something that I'm going to take forward as well as some positive stories and yeah, listening. Thank you guys. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Cara. Great advice and a great reminder to all of us about the importance of talking about climate change and how best to do it. Still to come, I chat to Saoirse Exton, but now it's time for a climate policy explainer. When we talk about taking action, holding politicians to account is hugely important. And to do that, you need to speak their language and know a bit about the policies. So here's Anna to explain what the Climate Action Bill is. At the end of October, the Climate Change Advisory Council proposed Ireland's first carbon budgets. The budgets outlined the maximum amount of greenhouse gases that the country can emit in three five-year periods, starting this year. The Climate Action Plan was then updated in early November to identify the actions needed by each sector to stay within those carbon budgets. Carbon budgets, the Climate Action Plan and the Climate Change Advisory Council, they are all key elements of the 2021 Climate Action Bill. After last year's general election, the Programme for Government included a commitment to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 7% per year between 2021 and 2030. It also included a commitment to introduce new climate legislation. And indeed, the draft amendment bill was published in early October 2020. But it was soon criticised by leading environmental campaigners. They were concerned that it gave extensive discretion to the government of the day didn't adequately address climate justice and made exception for the special role of agriculture. The Oireachtas Joint Committee on Climate Change went on to make detailed recommendations, many of them calling for stronger language in the bill. It then passed through several stages of debate in Dáil and Shannad, amendments were incorporated and the bill was signed into law by the President on the 23rd of July 2021. Climate activists were disappointed in some of the government's last-minute amendments, warning that they could undermine the scientific basis of the bill and make action subject to lobbying and political pressure. And indeed, the IFA took credit for the amendments, openly attributing the result to their intensive lobbying of Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. Despite reservations, the bill was welcomed by Friends of the Earth as the start of the race of a lifetime to reduce emissions. And for the first time, the bill defines Ireland's national climate objective as looking not just to pursue, but to achieve climate neutrality, no later than 2050. So as we listen now to discussion and debate and quite a bit of controversy, it's important to remember that that is our collective objective, approved by the Oireachtas and signed into law. Becoming climate neutral, improving biodiversity, reducing warming, they are all now legal commitments of the state. Everything else in the Climate Action Bill is designed to support achieving that overall objective. 
So under the bill, the carbon budget was proposed by the Climate Change Advisory Council, based on the latest scientific advice. Each sector then has to commit to a sectoral emission ceiling. Energy, transport, industry, and yes, even agriculture, will all have to work within a maximum amount of greenhouse gas emissions for their sector during the budget period. In its entirety, the Climate Action Bill provides a framework for government policy and action on climate change. And it has been seen to compare well to similar laws internationally. But as ever, action is what really counts. We're almost at the end of the first year of a five-year carbon budget, and the budget's only just been published, and sectoral budgets are still being discussed. This year's target will be missed, and next year's is considered at risk too. And remember that 7% annual reduction from the Programme for Government? Well, the first carbon budget actually calls for 4.8% annually, and higher reductions are backloaded into the second five-year budget. The Climate Action Bill is a step forward, but we are still behind in the race of a lifetime, and the next government will have harder decisions to make if we are going to catch up. Thanks, Anna. And before we go, we're returning to COP26. I spoke to Saoirse Exton, a youth climate activist who attended COP26 as an observer. I started by asking her about her experience over there. Yeah, so it was a very corporate event, which wasn't really surprising because, you know, I was expecting that. Um, But it was also very exclusionary and that was really difficult to deal with because, you know, I went there to watch negotiations um, and I went there to really engage with the decision-making and debating processes and I wasn't able to do that. And so that was quite annoying. And um, it was really exhausting as well. Just even standing around all day doing essentially nothing because we couldn't do anything in the conference was really exhausting. Um, but at the same time, the atmosphere outside the conference was incredible. You know, the, the people power that was shown over those two weeks, I'd never seen anything like it. Um, and it, yeah, it was so inspirational. I suppose, what's, where, where do you go? Where do you go personally? And where do you think, what's next for the climate movement post, post-COP? Honestly, I don't think we really know. Um, I think there's a lot of, of exhaustion because, you know, we've, we've been at it for, for three years um, and a lot of, you know, feeling like hopeless, I think, as well, because this was sort of last, for a lot of us, we feel it's the last cop where something could really have been promised. And we, we're, not, we're not giving up because obviously I, I believe that like the actual action takes part, uh, takes place at, at home. So, you know, I, I don't think COP really does anything aside from just, uh, you know, continue the trend of empty promises. Um, but it's, it's really when leaders go home and they, and they make decisions there that, um, you know, that's where it's important. What would your advice be for people listening that are disappointed and want to do something? What should What should people do? I think the first thing is to get involved with a local community, a local group that might be taking action on environmental issues. And if there isn't one, make one. Um, and I know that's really easier said than done, but it is really important that, like in these, you have to just jump into it and not overthink it, just do it. Because, you know, unfortunately, if we overthink it, we're probably not going to do it because it is daunting. It is scary to do things like activism, um, especially if you've never done anything like it before. Um, and I think, you know, I, I just think the really important thing is that we, we keep up the fight. We keep up the action. We don't give up. And I know, again, that's easier said than done because 
it is so easy to give up sometimes um, because it just feels like nothing is changing. But I mean, they are listening to us. There's a reason why this COP26 declaration was one of the most um, one of the most ambitious ever, and it was because, which isn't saying much, obviously, but and it's because we are outside and we are making ourselves heard. And there's a reason why the media coverage of this COP and of climate change recently is unlike none ever before. And it's because we are finally being heard. And it's, it's taken a while, it's taken a very, very long time, but we are being heard. And um, yeah. That was Saoirse Exton. And that's it for this week's show. From Dr. Declan Mulligan to Gary Tyrrell to Saoirse Exton, not forgetting Anna and Kira, of course. I feel there's been a great amount of inspiration to get us all active and fired up again following the disappointment of COP26. Don't forget to follow us on social media and to review and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We will be back next week with the last episode in Series 1. Until then, goodbye.